morning, King's Church. We are all looking for inspiration right now in this in this period of lockdown, of isolation. You could say we're looking for inspiration, and we can find it in all kinds of um, amazing ways. Like whether it's uh, Tom Moore, Captain Tom, and his amazing initially little mission to age ninety nine to walk around his garden uh, some hundred times, maybe raise a thousand pounds to the NHS. Well, twenty eight million pounds later. Um, the nation has been inspired by his humility and, and heroism in many ways. Or maybe we're inspired by some of the best musicians in the world coming together to produce an online concert and, and doing what amazing music can do, moving us and inspiring us. And those things will, will last, won't they, for a period of time? Who knows? Maybe for, for many years, perhaps, in, uh, in Captain Tom's case, if there's a hospital named after him or something. But what if... What if there was a source of inspiration that had lasted for 2,000 years and promised to last for all of time? What if that source of inspiration had inspired millions? What if that source of inspiration had been written by someone in isolation? And what if that someone in isolation had found such inspiration that their letter contained the word joy 16 times? Well, of course, I'm talking about uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, He wrote it in about 62 AD, uh, and he wrote it to the church he helped to start, as John was explaining so helpfully last week. And he wrote it, you could say, from isolation. He was in prison, or at least he was under house arrest, which maybe is how some of us feel at the moment. And he's writing it to his beloved fellow believers that he can't see at the moment, but he wants to write to them. And as I've said, over, over the years, people have, no, have regarded the letter of the, to the Philippians as perhaps the most joyful book in the Bible. Not only just inspiring, but where there is deep, deep, deep inspiration and joy and peace to be found. So let's begin it this morning. John set the scene last week in Rack 16 as to how the church began. And we're going to now begin the letter itself this morning from chapter 1 and verse 1. And just to say, as I'm going through this message, if you want to look at the kind of little headings to the message or some of the additional verses that will pop up you can click on the notes section um, in the screen just over over here and uh, that might help you to follow along as we're going along later on but here we go and hopefully you can read along with me i would encourage you to read it aloud in your home so we're participating in the proclaimed word of god together chapter one and verse one paul and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints in christ jesus who are at philippi with the overseers and deacons Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and also in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise 
of God. So let's just ask two simple questions of this of this text. Why is Paul so inspired? And what are the implications of that? So what's the source of inspiration and what are the effects of it, the results of it, you could say? So first of all, why is he so inspired? And there is a number of reasons that you could draw out. But in the time we have together, let's just look at one or one particular verse. I want to hone in um, on verse six, where, where Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, what does he mean? What does he mean in that one verse? Well, I think you could put it like this. Paul is inspired. He is sure he knows that the salvation of these Christians is secure and he also knows their sanctification is secure. So partly he means that their salvation is secure. In other words, if he's saying if, if God did it in Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection, if God did it, then he will bring it to completion. Not least uh, when Jesus returns to make all things new and we know life with him forever. And he's probably alluding to the fact that not only did God do the work of salvation, the Bible teaches that God also gave us the gift of faith. So he gave us the gift of salvation. He gave us also the gift of faith. And in fact, Paul alludes to that at the end of this chapter in verse 29. So Paul's like, it's done. It's certain. God, God did this. God began this. God initiated this. And so, of course, God's going to bring it to completion which is why uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 28 really inspiring words he said no one will snatch them talking about believers out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand to be a Christian, to have genuinely received the gift of salvation and indeed the gift of faith to receive the gift of salvation is for the deal to be decided. God will bring you through either when your life finishes or Jesus comes first, the day of Christ, as Paul said, whichever comes first. The, the, the full implications of our salvation, living with Christ on a perfectly renewed world forever, is settled. It's pretty inspiring. But secondly, I think Paul is also getting at not just our salvation being secure, but our sanctification being secure. You see, you become a Christian and you are made perfect by Christ. And then this other truth also kicks in that you are gradually made, you, you gradually become perfected to be like Christ. I'll say that again. Salvation means you're made perfect by Jesus. And it means you gradually become to be perfect like Jesus. So it's both. When we trust in what Jesus has done, it means we're forgiven and then we're made completely righteous. We're, we're totally delightful to God. Perfect in that sense. He loves us. He's delighting in us. We're fully righteous. We're a new creation. We're born again, a precious child. And that perfect status that is given to us simply through faith, that status also becomes, if you like, our lived reality, our experienced reality over over time and through progress, our character and our actions begin to bear the evidence of the status transformation that's happened. Sanctification, in other words. We begin to become like the person, Jesus Christ, who saved us. And Paul refers to this elsewhere in his letters when he writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 2 and uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians, second letter of the church in Corinth, and chapter 3 in verse 18, 
He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. His letter to the church in Rome, in chapter 8, and verse 29, he says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what Paul is also referring to, the work that God has begun in every believer and can begin in you today, just by, just by trusting in the life and work of Jesus, is, is to make you a little bit more, one degree by the next, like Jesus, the greatest person that ever lived. Paul's utterly inspired by that. He's sure of it, he says in this, in this verse. What God has begun, I'm sure of it, God will complete maybe he's thinking of those three early Christians that John described last week, the, the successful businesswoman Lydia, the, the, the broken and, and demon-possessed uh, young girl, the kind of tough-nut jailer, all these three very different people that, that came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and then begin to become like the Jesus Christ that saved them. Lydia, for example, if you heard last week, she, she is saved and then things begin to change, like she opens up her whole home to the early church, the kind of hospitality and generosity and sacrificial love of Jesus. She's being made perfect, as well as having been made perfect in her in her status. And I want to put it to you, this is more than just kind of maybe temporarily inspiring. This is life changing. This is eternity changing. When not only you believe in it, but you begin to trust in it and experience evidentially its reality. So what are the effects? What are the effects of this uh, inspiration that Paul has found? Well, just two things. One, peace. Peace. When you know that the God of the universe loves me, so much so that he initiated and accomplished my salvation, he gave me the gift of faith to believe in, then you know I, I, I can't, if that's true, I, I can't fall from his hand. If he initiated it, if he started it, if he's responsible for it, then of course it's settled and sure. He's not going to let me go. As Jesus said. And what's more, as much as we might uh, look at our character, at least I do, and think, man, in terms of me becoming like Jesus, there's a long way to go. We can have the peace to know that God has made a commitment, that he's going to do that. Yes, one day we'll be fully like Jesus, that will happen if you like, when we, we, we receive our resurrection, the eternal bodies to be with Jesus, but he's also doing it now. I can be peaceful that whatever stumbles I might have, sin I might continually, uh, continue might entangle me or trip me up, whatever lack I perceive in myself, I can be peaceful that what God has begun in me, he is going to bring to completion. One day I'll be the kind of person that Jesus saved me to be. I'm going to be free. You're going to be free. And you can be free now from uh, from addictions. We can be set free from pride and insecurity. We can be conformed to the image of the greatest person who ever lived. And that, yes, that's a future hope, but it can also be a present, uh, a present progress, a present change, a present lived, experienced reality. And that, I think, is the crucial link to the second implication, the second result of this inspiration. Yes, it, it should produce peace in us. God's done it. God's done it. And if God's done it, God's going to bring it to completion. I can rest. I don't have to strive. I don't have to be uncertain. 
I don't have to be buffeted by even the, the, the massive uh, witch storms around at the moment. What God has begun, he will complete. Breathe. Salvation. Sanctification. And, or but, that does not result in passivity. Peace, but not passivity. Action, not inactivity. The second cause is that it, well, the second is it prompts action. You see, trusting in God's sovereignty and his faithfulness uh, prompts action. You see, when you dwell in what God has done and what God has will do, when you dwell in verse 6, it makes you so secure, I would argue, that you can step out in faith. You can step out in obedient action. Secure that God has decreed it to be so, but has given us the responsibility and the opportunity and the dignity of acting and praying that it might be so. And indeed, look at what Paul does in verses 9 to 11. He prays that what he knows God will do, he will do. It's both. Don't read verse 6 without reading verses 9 to 11. Really interesting. Paul says, I know this is going to happen. And then he prays that it would happen. He prays that the church in Philippi, each individual Christian, would, as it were, take responsibility to become the kind of people that God has decreed that they would become. We read verses 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I wonder whether you could just, as we begin to close, you could summarise the kind of Christ-like people that Paul both believes the Philippians will be and exhorts them to become, you could summarise it in three ways, I reckon. Obviously, love. He wants them to become more and more loving people. Loving of, of, of their fellow believers within the community of faith. Loving of their, of their neighbour, their city and their world. The second thing he wants them to grow in, is you could say, is wisdom. He talks about knowledge, having knowledge of God, growing in that. Having a discernment to know what is excellent. What's worth giving our life to? What's noble? You could call that wisdom, I guess. So he wants them to grow in love. He wants them to grow in the, in the wisdom to know God, to know what it means to genuinely enjoy and prioritise the things of God. And thirdly, you could say he wants them to grow in holiness. He talks about being pure and blameless on the day at which Jesus comes. So in a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. And then we'll just be a moment of reflection nothing will happen if you like on the screen in front of you so that you can just apply or, or ask God to what he would have you apply in terms of those three categories where would he have you in this unique time where like Paul we're kind of under house arrest as it were at least we can get out for the day Paul couldn't but in this unique time knowing the promise that God has made how would he have us if you like pray it into being live it into being so what's that look like for you? In a moment you've got a chance to respond just where you are, whether you're on your own, with housemates or with family, and apply it. Is it to do with just simply loving people? The people that God's put in front of you, in your home, or indeed virtually in your church or your workplace? Is it to abound more and more in love? We find that hard, but Jesus is the perfect example and the power to be like that. Is that your application for this morning? That what, what God wants to do in isolation, as it were, is not only to inspire you, but to empower you to abound more and more in love. Secondly, is it about growing in knowledge and discernment, or wisdom, you could call it? 
would God have you use this unique period of isolation of lockdown to develop knowledge of God, discernment, to really know the things that matter in life, to spend time meditating on his word, on his plans and promises, so that you come out the other side of this period of lockdown, a more knowledgeable, discerning person, ready to live this next season of life, having grown in this period of isolation. And thirdly, is it holiness? Is it the call to be pure and blameless? And again, we do stumble. We will stumble. Jesus is the one who is pure and blameless on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. And he empowers us to begin to change one degree by another to be increasingly pure and holy. As a church, we feel like we've been called this year to learn to walk on the highway of holiness. There are unique challenges to doing that in the home. Unique temptations, unique things that will trip us up and, and cause us to, to divert from the highway of holiness towards a different highway. Is God this morning calling you, knowing that he's promised that he will make you like Christ? Is he calling you to respond to it, to pray into being, to live it out, to take responsibility in that sense, to choose to be holy because you've been set apart to be holy? And of course, we do all of this knowing that Christ was perfectly loving on our behalf. He loved us so much, he came to the world and died and rose for us. He is the perfect uh, image of God, full of wisdom. He never made a misstep ever, and he promises us wisdom from heaven. Thirdly, he was holy for us in order that he could usher us into the holy of holies. He's made us holy so that we can live as holy people. Don't simply try and aspire to be like Jesus. Let what he's done empower you to change you to be like Jesus. To be lovable, to be wise, to be holy. Knowing, just like Paul has said, and I'm telling you this, I am sure that what God has begun in you, King's Church, he will bring to completion. And one day he will return. As Paul says, the day of Christ gives him great sureness. Great sureness. And it should give us great certainty and peace that one day this Things like disease and pestilence and grief and tears and loneliness and isolation and confusion will come to an end and it will be no more. That gives Paul great a great uh, inspiration. He mentions it twice. And that's the invitation for anyone who's not yet in Christ, not yet had that joy of receiving the gift of faith to receive the gift of salvation. I would argue that if you're listening to this this morning, that's because God wants to give it to you this morning. To give you the gift of faith to believe in what he did for you because he loved you so much. He had the wisdom to know how to bring justice and mercy together on the cross. And he had the holiness to live a holy life that you couldn't live. You can receive that this morning. You can know eternal life. And you can know that if Jesus returns tomorrow or in a millennia, he'll do so to gather you into his kingdom to live on this earth with him forever in total perfection and joy. And not the opposite to live in total separation and horror from him forever. The day of Christ is inspiring, it's also sobering. So we're just going to use a few moments of reflection, even silence if you wish, and then Jamie will lead us in a song, but not for a few moments. So re respond where you are and ask God to lead you in either a response to become a Christian for the first time, and we'll help you with that throughout the service, or as a believer, to grow in Christ-like love, Christ-like wisdom, or Christ-like holiness. Bless you all, King's Church. Miss you loads. We look forward to seeing you soon.